and all things reproductive justice, rights, and pop culture, or literally anything else we want to talk about. Again, I'm Anna. And I'm Bridget. And we're your two very unqualified hosts. Uh, Maybe we should actually start off there as to how unqualified we actually are. So, Bridget, who are we? And why did we start this podcast? Brilliant idea, Anna. (laughs) Well... We are both fellows at an unnamed (laughs) reproductive rights and health organization. We met as fellows in a very tumultuous time in reproductive rights, and we just had a lot of thoughts about stuff. I think we can give it, give a lot, owe a lot to uh, voice memos about why we decided to start this podcast. Um, And you know what? Here we are. But we just want to start by saying, we are not qualified to be talking about any of this. So if you're going to be taking any of this information as factual, that's on you. <laughs> that's your own problem. And again, I'd like to reiterate that we are not affiliated with any sort of unnamed organization, mostly because we'd like to keep our jobs. And so anything on this podcast is is really not related to that. Um, but we will be talking about repro rights the movement, what's going on, what we think about it, because we think that the podcasting and media landscape is really saturated with facts, figures, and good legal analysis. And we just think it's it's time for us, the, you know, unhinged, to, to give our take, to say our, our, our story. You heard it here, folks. December 2021, it's the moment for the unhinged. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, so we met at this at this job that we would like to keep. Um, but we both, you know, come from diverse, somewhat backgrounds. Um, j- just from me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm extremely white, so we're going to just start there. But go, go on. <laughs> I'm, I'm not white. Though, I mean, I have a lot of questions about race, but that's not this episode. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> also, everything we say individually is our own thoughts and mm-hmm. should not be bunched in with what the other person is, is saying. Well, I would like to speak for <laughs> and by Bridget. And I think that's fine. <laughs> so tell us about your background. Okay, yeah. So I was born in the Dominican Republic. Then I moved to Florida at a different time than when I was born. And then I went to college. I did a lot of stuff with um, reproductive rights organizations, unnamed. Um, And then I went to, I had jobs. And then... (laughs) At unnamed places. Right. And then I also uh, went to uh, law school and did that. And now I am a, a person with a JD. And that's... That's what that is. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's big of you to say because you're actually a Bard attorney. Yeah. Whereas at the time we're recording this, I am not. This okay. Is a pain point for me. <laughs> it's deeply personal <laughs> information. We're going to get into it, folks. Um, so I am much more of a blander background, shall we say. 
There's some spiciness there. Thanks. Thank you. I am a uh, person from New Jersey. Fun fact, we are both from the armpits of America. Oh, yeah. Florida and New Jersey. So we're both armpitty, unhinged individuals, mm-hmm. which also brought us together. And mental illness. And men- <laughs> mental illness. Probably because of our environments. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Definitely big <laughs> contributor. <laughs> Um, so I grew up in a small town in New Jersey, about an hour outside the city, working class. Um, I'm the first generation to go to college. Um, I come from a long line of union workers, so I'm very much, that's big instilled into my background, is just workers' rights and dignity of a living wage and healthcare and all those things. Yeah, and I think my working class background often brings me gives me a different lens um to talking about a lot of issues in rooms with people who like are generally generationally had access to higher education all that is to say though I am still a white flop um and (laughs) I am taking up space in a movement that was not created for me or by people who look like me to serve people who look like like me, so I try to always think about that whenever I'm doing anything in this reproductive rights and health justice landscape. That's really brave of you, Bridget. Thank you. Thank you. It's really hard to be white because (laughs) I have a theory. Can I tell my white white theory? Absolutely. So I have And then can I tell you about my inside-outside theory? Yeah. Okay. I'm scared, but yes. No, it's bad. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I have a theory that a lot of racism comes from, obviously, we know, like, the historical backgrounds of racism. We can get into that in a different episode. Um, But I think another big part of it is, like, jealousy of Mm. white people that they don't have a culture. Right. So that's why, like, so many white people are clinging to, like, wherever their, like, great-grandparents came from. Like, I come from a family that's like all Irish and then some Scottish and like I just feel like growing up it was like oh my god you're Irish you're Irish but like no I'm a white American and that's okay too you know like Mm -hmm. sure like a lot of things about the food that I cook you heard it here folks Bridget's white and she's (laughs) proud (laughs) (laughs) okay but here's my theory white culture doesn't exist all the white people have are racism mm-hmm. the band fish right <laughs> and like making out with their dogs that is white culture <laughs> yeah i mean yeah that's all we have that seems like a good representation yeah of of what i perceive it to be as well yeah um so your inside outside theory so this actually this theory is actually uh fucked up Okay. Um, so I have this theory, and it's really vain. So the inside-outside theory is that, and just hear me out, because okay. you're not going to like You might like it. I think that people who are ugly oh God. to others, okay. and it's not about, like, societal standards. Mm-hmm. It's about sort of vibes. Okay. People who are ugly are ugly because they're bad people. Okay. And people that are beautiful, again, not tied to societal standards. Wait, I feel like what? I'm losing you. Wait, but there's so many fucking ugly people who are act like 
traditionally who, ugly. Who's ugly? No, no, not traditional. Just like aura wise, you look at them and you just get that feeling in in your stomach, and you're like, that person's unattractive to me. I, I don't know how to place it. Okay, I'm gonna put someone in front of you who's like who's ugly. You're gonna call someone ugly? No, who's hot? Okay, and who's a bad person? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right, well, you know what, folks? Well, maybe I shouldn't say this person. It's going to cause problems. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's see. Um, hmm. Here's a thought that I have. Uh-huh. What's her name who was the former first lady? Ivanka Trump. Right. Is that her name? No, that's his ex-wife's name. No, that's her. Is it Ivanka? Yeah. Okay, Ivanka She's Trump. not pretty. I think she's, like, by society standards, pretty pretty gorge but we're not talking about society standards okay but you we're, look at her and you're like okay she's like tr- she's traditionally pretty but she's a evil person no i don't think i don't think i would look at her that way okay name someone who's hot but and also a, good a person. bad person i can't because the theory holds i have some in my mind but i feel like if i say it, it's gonna be bad okay what is it we can cut cut it out okay joe biden when he was younger hot hot really hot he was probably a good person back then no he fucking wasn't oh what did he do are you serious i don't know he's like the fucking daddy of uh, he brought in he developed like the first law right i mean where do i fucking begin okay first of all he's like daddy warbucks when it comes to like credit card companies like he's like the reason why, why we have like so much like national debt right now but was that when he was hot yeah oh. also he's like he dev- he always like heralds himself as like the creator of like vawa right violence, violence against, against women. women act which sure did good in some places but like it was tied to the crime bill yeah that was deeply racist and ushered in a generation of mass incarceration and then we have you know stuff that he's done um, he, you know that big case, um, Gonzalez v. Carhartt? Yeah. Where they considered the, um, the, like, what is it called? They, they used some word. It was, like, um, Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act of oh, 2003. Yeah. I, if I understand correctly, my history and talking points about why we hate him, I, th- I'm pretty sure he was the one who brought that in. That was his fucking law? Oh. Let me look at... Okay, so... Yeah, I think he, like, co-authored the partial birth abortion ban... Again, not experts, so don't take anything we say as fact, but he ushered in the partial birth abortion ban law that then went up to the Supreme Court, and then that was, like, the first case for the Supreme Court essentially recognized a pre-viability abortion ban Mm. because people can get partial birth quote-unquote partial birth abortions before viability and the reason people get those we can get into all of it but like a big thing is that like it's really actually dangerous for someone to get a surgical abortion where like the fetus is aborted within a person's body Mm. and then like all they have like surgeon keeps having to go in and pull out all the pieces whereas like a safer route is to just remove and and okay well this is getting dark but <laughs> <laughs> the 
The way that I'm already cutting this whole segment out. Essentially, he is an example of someone who was hot. Okay. But also a toxic bitch. Okay, so I have perhaps been proven wrong. Jury's still out. Was he actually hot during this whole process? I don't know. Because I'm thinking about that one particular picture where he looks really yummy. With his, was, like, Hawaiian shirt on? Right. Yeah. And I feel like that wasn't him as a senator. That was, like, in college. But I don't know. Maybe he probably did something bad in college, too. Okay, what about... I'm going to say it. Who? Obama. He's hot. Drone Obama. The drone king. I'm sorry. Your theory is falling to fucking <laughs> shatters around us. You know, in this podcast, we, we embrace being wrong. That's what we embrace. <laughs> All right. Shall we get into the... The segments. Um, we're going to have several segments. Mm-hmm. Um, should we give overviews or should we just go right into them? I think we should just get into it. Right. Um, so what are we talking about today, Bridget? Oh, I have to give the dog. Yeah, I give you that test. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely getting fired. Okay, so we're talking about um, a case that just came before the Supreme Court. They had oral arguments for it on what day was that? December 1st. It was like a week ago today. Yeah. A week ago today, oral arguments for a case called uh, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. We call it Jehu for short. Mm-hmm. Jehu um, is a scary-ass case that is like the first time since, I guess, Planned Parenthood v. Casey where the court actually considered the exact question of law that Roe v. Wade was decided on Mm -hmm. almost, like, 50 years ago. So Casey was decided around 30 years ago, actually the year I was born, which is how I always remember it. It's 1992. And I'm just turned 29, so that bitch is an old-ass case. But essentially, Dobbs is reconsidering um, whether or not, like, a state law banning abortion access before viability is constitutional. Yeah. And first of all, it's wild that the Supreme Court decided to even consider this case because yeah. we have 50 years of cases that have upheld the decision right. um, in Roe v. Wade. And so off, off the bat, crazy. And it all comes back to, you know, Trump's court packing and Democrats just totally failing to fight for our judiciary. Mm-hmm. And now we have a majority of conservative justices on the Supreme Court who decided to grant certiorari to hear this case. Um, The case is about a 15-week abortion ban um, that comes out of Mississippi. And for anyone who doesn't know, um, the general timeline that, like, I guess the court has recognized or is recognized as, like, viability, which we don't necessarily subscribe to, is um, like 24 to 26 weeks. So yeah. it's a big, it's a big pullback, you know, 15, I'm not great with math on the spot, but what is like, it's like it's, it's two a, months, It's an right? amount of time. Two months? For sure. I mean, a day is consequential when right. it comes to getting abortion and, access. And we could spend other episodes talking about like why the viability line is so useless. Mm-hmm. Um obviously useful in a legal context where we're trying to, you know, cling on to the crumbs that Roe and Casey left behind. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like Bridget was saying, it's sort of very wild that they even heard this case because it's very clearly before viability. 
as, you know, as it has been um, uh, defined by the court so far. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, and we heard the oral arguments. They were absolutely bonkers. The justices, mainly the conservative justices, were bringing up, like, they were basically, like, low-key trying to make the case that, like, not to get too in the weeds, but <laughs> a, like, foundational legal principle in the United States law is this theory called stare decisis, which means to stand by decisions um, in Latin. Mm? Yeah, mm? that seems right. Yeah. I wouldn't know. Yeah, but essentially... Um, this theory, you learn it like day one in law school and they tell you that, which we both went to. We um, did go to law school. <laughs> it might not seem like it on this podcast, but we both did graduate. We both are JDs. Yeah. So, um, essentially, Sarah Decisis says that like the way you create law is that a decision happens and then that decision informs future decisions that have similar underlying fact patterns. And those decisions build upon themselves and precedent, like, informs future cases. And only in the event where there's, like, really significant argument or, like, a really significant situation Mm -hmm. is existing precedent overturned. Like, Mm -hmm. it has to be, like, a convincing-ass argument. Right. Um, Like, one of the examples that they used that the state was using about when they did overturn was, like... Plessy versus Ferguson. Right. And like those kinds of cases <laughs> where it's like. Plessy versus Ferguson was essentially said like segregation, separate but equal. That's fine. Um, we like it. We like it, said the whites on the Supreme Court. Right. And then Brown v. Board of Education came over and turned that bitch over and by Plessy. And then we had, you know. Um, I mean, yeah, we got to remember there's, like, cases in our history that are, like, slavery is chill. Yeah. That's the example of a kind of case that you want to overturn. Exactly. And that merits being overturned. Exactly. So, the cringy thing is that throughout the oral arguments, all the conservative justices, including, like, Kavanaugh, Alito, Amy Coney Barrett, Gorsuch, they were, like, bringing up all of these like landmark cases like Brown v. Board of Education overturning Plessy versus Ferguson, Obergefell, which established like the right to same sex marriage, like Baker v. Carr, which like facilitated um, voting rights, like all of these really landmark cases that overturned essentially discriminatory precedents that had come before it and like created or recognized existing civil rights. So these hoes were out here being like, well, look at these cases. You know, you guys are saying that if we overturn Roe, it's going to be the end of the world because that's existing precedent. But like Brown Board of Education overturned precedent. And it's like, girly, we're not talking about the same thing. (laughs) How how are you going to conflate the two, ma'am? This is a Wendy's. This is a Wendy's. Like, that's not what we're talking about. Like, those other cases, like, categorically were overturning, like, really shitty things and were giving people rights. Yeah. This is a case where you're trying to take away rights. Yeah. So it's, like, it's just not apples to apples. No. Like, it's just, like, not making sense for me. So that's the download on that. Right. It was a mess. Um... And we're looking at a situation, we're not even going to get into SB8, but 
We're looking at a situation As where... of this recording, just by the way, SB8 is still, um, still kicking around for context. SB8 is the really wild Texas law that um, is basically a six-week abortion ban and lets any idiot off the street sue anybody for any reason. If they think that abortion is happening, they can just sue the doctor, uh, any kind of um, clinic escort, mm-hmm. just any any kind of whiff of aiding and abetting, and that's big quote marks here. Yeah. Um, they can just go ahead and bring them to the county courthouse and collect $10,000. Uh, minimum $10,000. Minimum. So we're saying, we're, let's present this example. You have some crusty crust neighbor. He's got his Trump flag or mm-hmm. whatever. Maybe he's just a regular old, regular degular guy. But he's out here sniffing around your house. You're like, whoopsie, I'm pregnant. Let's book that abortion real quick. You get your Uber. You're like on the phone with your girly. Oh, hey, gotta get in my car. Like, I'm going to get my abortion. I'll, I'll call you later. Let's like do drinks tonight. And then <laughs> you get in your Uber, and this crusty crust scribbles down the fucking Uber driver's uh, license plate, and you you go off and you you go and get your abortion. You come back, and next thing you know, your neighbor's ha- ha- hauling you into court for upwards of ten thousand minimum ten thousand yeah. dollars, and the Uber driver. Separately. Well, I don't think they can sue the person getting the abortion. But oh, they can't? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Only the everyone around Only them. literally everybody else. Okay, so your mom on the phone. Right. Your mom? Your girlies. Your girlies on the, the phone. The driver, uh, the receptionist at the clinic. The, uh, the doctor who does the abortion. Was there a cross guard that helped you cross <laughs> the street? She's getting sued. I'm sorry. She helped. She knew there was a clinic, and she said, I don't want vehicular manslaughter today. <laughs> and so she is getting sued. Yes. So that's, that's what SB 8's about. And by the way, we're taking a light tone, not because this is a light subject. It has literally been devastating for folks in Texas. Devastating. We're taking this kind of tone because we don't know how else to approach things that are just incomprehensibly awful. Yes. And we're constantly immersed in it in such a heavy way at our unnamed job. And so (laughs) another reason we decided to do the podcast is because when we get together, it's a way to kind of like release a little bit of stress, but also understand what each other's dealing with because we are doing similar job functions. So, yeah. So if we're laughing about things, don't think we're not also crying on the inside. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least one of us is crying. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not you. It's not me. Uh, Anna just told me that <laughs> they have not cried with their therapist. I haven't. In who they've been with for over a year. Right. And Anna got to my house and I had just finished a therapy session where I was full-blown sobbing. Right. Because I sob every session. Yeah. Some of us can, can tough it out. <laughs> and by some of us, <laughs> they mean not me. And yeah. No, I'm like emotionally stunted. But that's not this podcast. No. Yet. Um, so, Bridget, I wanted to get your reaction to some of the quotes that I pulled from this Reuter, oh my <laughs> Reuter <God>. article. 
<laughs> I didn't know this was coming, but okay. Okay. So here's from Dear Scott Stewart, the Mississippi Solicitor General. Ew. In the case. Ew. Okay. By the way. Yeah. Don't know what he looks like, but definitely Ugly. not hot. Ugly. By his voice. Ugly vibes. Ugly vibes. Ugly energy. Also, I just feel like I could not keep it together if I was, like, Mississippi's attorney and I had to, like, say all this stuff that I'm about to tell you that he said. I was, like, thinking while watching him or listening to him, like, how do you lie so hard to yourself? Yeah. Like, how do you do anything else in your life? How do you, like, take a shit and then take yourself seriously while shitting? I'm serious. (laughs) How do you, like, tell someone, like, like, go through the day knowing that you're just blatantly fucking lying. Right. I don't know. All right. Tell me those quotes. Okay. So, regarding two landmark Supreme Court rulings, um, Casey and Roe. Okay. Roe v. Wade and Casey haunt our country. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Spooky. <laughs> they have no basis in the Constitution. They have no home in our history or our traditions. Your traditions. (laughs) They've damaged the democratic process. They've poisoned the law. They've choked off compromise. Coming from someone who clearly never been choked (laughs) in a good way before. (laughs) And for 50 years, they've kept this court at the center of a political battle that it can never resolve. Get a grip. Okay, first of all, first and foremost, my question is, mm-hmm. or my statement is, sir, this is a Wendy's. Right. This is not the forum. And 50 years on, they stand alone. Nowhere else does this court recognize a right to end a human life. Uh, I had a question when he was said. Don't we have the death penalty? Yeah, that was my, I wrote, I think I wrote in our, we had a shared Google Doc. Which was chaos right. during the oral arguments. And I think I wrote, um, death penalty question mark? <laughs> right. And we're not saying, we're, when we say that, we're not saying that that statement has any merit. But no. just like, even if you believe that human life begins at conception, it doesn't work. Like, the statement doesn't work. We have laws that literally say, like, if a cop shoots someone and they have some, like, justification, look. I don't know the exact words around it, but, like, they, they, we have laws that literally, like, say, like, all right, and the cop didn't mean to shoot you in mm. cold blood. Like, we literally watch, like, national television, like, court, like, cases where people are let off for killing black people and in cold blood, and the court set, courts say, okay... It's all right. Like, we have existing precedent that says that's okay. Not saying that those two things should be conflated. It's just like, sir, that's just a wild thing to say. Right. It's a wild thing to say. So what, what you want my reaction? You just reacted. Okay, well, I thought you wanted me to react to, like, what he More. Oh, yeah, said. you can react some more. Absolutely. I just think it's, like, a weird way to start. It's a weird way to jump into, like, an oral argument. Like, and it also my, my thought was, like, when he, when he was, like, it keeps this court constantly having to come back and revisit. It's, like, because of you. Right. You're the one bringing it back. Yeah. Like, we. Okay. <laughs> we are no, here because of you. Yeah. It's, like, you literally invited us over and, like, now you're angry about yeah. it. And it's, like, this is, like, not even. No one wanted to come. 
Like, yeah. no one wanted to come. We just felt like this, like, weird obligation. Okay? Because we have to see you at work all the time. Yeah. And it's just, like, friction. Like, mm-hmm. no one wanted to come. Yeah. It's like punching someone in the face and then being like, why are you crying and bleeding? <laughs> you need to stop crying and bleeding. Your crying and bleeding is actually really annoying and it's taking up time right now and you keep bringing it up yeah you keep making it part of the discussion and like we just need to stop talking about it exactly okay here's another quote by um chief justice john roberts is that a honk (laughs) it's a disagreeable snort he says Mm-hmm. I'd like to focus on the 15-week ban because that's not a dramatic departure from viability. It's the standard that the vast majority of other countries have. When you get to the viability standard, we share the standard with the People's Republic of China and North Korea. Wait, John Roberts said that? Yeah. According what? to Reuters.com. The People's Republic of China and North Korea? Right. Why do I feel like... My socialism is being attacked right now. (laughs) This feels like dog whistle vibes. Um, okay. To you, sir, again, I have to ask. Have you read, have you read Roe v. Wade? Have you read, uh... Mr. John? Yeah, have you read... I don't think he has. Have you read, uh, South, Southeastern Pennsylvania... What is it? Southeastern Pennsylvania Planned Parenthood versus Casey? Mm -hmm. Sir, have you read that? Because... Those, those cases aren't saying, like, the minute it hits this exact, like, date, boom, it's over, you know? Like, <laughs> that's when you can't get abortions anymore. It's saying any pre-viability abortion ban is unconstitutional. Right. So, sir, if you are upholding a 15-week ban that is pre-viability, you are then overturning the precedent set in those cases 30 and 50 years ago. Right. You can't have your cake and eat it too, John. Right, John. You can't. Yeah. It's a wrap. If you uphold a 15-week ban, by ho, the six-week ban in Texas. She's getting upheld. The friggin' who knows what these people are, they're gonna put a ban on before you get pregnant. (laughs) That's gonna be upheld. Like, they're gonna put bans on Jerking off, that will be upheld. <laughs> like, you, sir, I mean, not saying that this is what actually was going to happen. What I'm saying is, it's not saying, like, oh, when you, the, the case law isn't saying, like, okay, 26 weeks, girls, go get your peoples, go get your abortions, but as soon as we hit that, no more abortions. No, more. no it's saying pre-viability. And, like, something that we don't talk about enough is, like, Science is changing Mm -hmm. all the time that, like, the standard of what viability is is, like, constantly changing. It's, like... And it's a useless thing to even... Viability... Okay, she's kind of, like... She's giving (laughs) white people definitely, (laughs) for some reason, decided this was a legal strategy. It was, um, quickening. Oh. Which is kind of a gross word. Like, when you feel... Little limbs moving. Oh. But what did Sona Mayor said? She's like, uh, when you bitch slap a corpse, it can look back. No, she said, if you touch like a corpse's foot or something, it'll have like an involuntary reaction and like twitch. I was like, first of all, 
gross in a ball. Yes, queen, come out with those scientific facts. Also, oh, yeah. That's what I was going to talk about. Science. This underscores. Sorry to cut yeah, you yeah. off. This is, I'm cutting you off. No, no, no. Yeah. This underscores. I don't want my Supreme Court justices to be fucking scientists. Right. No, 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 no. 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 That's why when Justice Blackman. Sure. Is that his name? Roe Ro v. Wade. Mm-hmm. He straight up said, none of y'all are scientists. Right. None of y'all are priests. We are not. That's not our job. So to avoid all of that, we're just going to say, this is, this is the standard that makes sense. Right. Because it was considering, like, the state's interest in potential life versus the pregnant person's interest in, like, their own fucking body and, like, all these other things. So it's like, you know, it, it, makes, it makes sense in a flawed way, in that way. Yeah. But, and here's the thing about science. Here's what I'll say about science. Here we go. And this will really prove that having a JD does not make you a scientist. Because oh, the, things, does it? the things that are, are about to come out of my mouth, <laughs> if you thought what I was saying before was unqualified, this is extremely unqualified. Buckle in, folks. Buckle. Here's the thing about science and viability. Okay. Okay. So. <laughs> I'm scared. You can't define viability. Because viability, the word it means, I believe, that you can survive outside of the womb. Mm-hmm. Like, as a little clump of cells. <laughs> as a jelly, as a gummy bear. Yeah, yeah. So, and if you ask any doctor, they would tell you that viability is so context-dependent. Mm-hmm. viability is yes like a scientific thing that maybe you can point to but it's also like does this person want who is hosting <laughs> this child want a child that's viability yeah wait say that again i don't know let you... me say it again um, get... so viability it's not just like can this thing survive outside my body yeah it's also like do you want this thing to survive outside your body <laughs> I get that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, there's also, like, not to go there, but it's, like, there's full-on abortions that have to happen because yeah. the fetus isn't going to survive. And, like, that's not a viable pregnancy anymore. No. You know? And, 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 and for all intents and purposes, can that thing survive outside a body with, like, Just barely technically. Tubes attached and shit for the rest of its life? Or, like... Or for its short, painful, horrible... Existence? Sure, yeah. But, like... But that's, like... Is that all? We shouldn't... I mean, I'm not gonna say what we should and shouldn't (laughs) do here. But is that, like, what you're sort of proposing by saying viability is, is a standard that we can measure? Yeah. I guess. Yeah, and I get the necessity to have, like, a legal standard, right? Like, yeah. we need something that, like, Julie Rickleman kept saying, like, what's his face? Krusty Crust from Mississippi kept Scott. saying. Scott. kept saying. Also, Scott. 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 It's such, like, a little name. Scott Stewart. Ew. Scott Stewart. Mr. Scott Stewart. He kept saying, like. He definitely doesn't fuck. He does not fuck. And if he, if you are listening to this right now and you are Mr. fucking him, Scott. stop fucking him yeah. now. Yeah. Um, okay, but but like, 
he kept saying like it's an unworkable an unworkable standard and it and then Julie Rickleman kept saying wait he was saying something was unworkable and then Julie was like no 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 uh this has actually been clearly a workable standard because it has you know been decided in 50 years of precedent that like the viability standard he kept saying the undue burden standard yeah. was unworkable and she was like first of all that's not what's at issue here. That's not what y'all put in your, you know, petition for certiorari before the Supreme Court. What you did put was the viability standard. And that has clearly been workable. And we've seen it be workable in, like, all of these cases over the last 50 years. So, mm-hmm. you're wrong. Um, it's, and, and I, so I understand the need for, like, a clear-cut standard. And, like, but what we're saying is, like, essentially Roe is the is the threshold. Roe is not the threshold, it's like the ground floor, right? Right. Roe is already the compromise. Yes. Yeah. And then you have John Roberts out here like, well, maybe 15 weeks won't be that bad. It might be that bad. Yeah. Okay, here's some more. (laughs) Here's a quote from our, our friend and your friend at home, Justice Amy Coney Barrett. What? Okay. So... For context, she started talking about safe haven laws. I don't know enough about that. Basically, what a safe haven law is is like you know, like when you oh, when you put a baby at the fire at the fire station. Yeah. Okay. That's what that is, and that you like won't. It's like you won't get prosecuted for child abandonment. (laughs) I think. So she's like conflating. All right, just read the quote. Okay. Yeah. So both Roe and Casey emphasize the burdens of parenting and insofar as you focus on the ways in which forced parenting forced motherhood would hinder women's access to the workplace and to equal opportunities it's also focused on the consequences of parenting and the obligations of motherhood that flow from pregnancy why don't the safe haven laws take care of that problem okay to quote kid fury i first want to say as soon as she started conflating pregnancy and forced parenthood, pull over the car. Mm-hmm. Pull over on the side of the motherfucking road because we need to talk. <laughs> Ma'am, pull over and park that car on the side of the highway. I don't this- care if this highway is packed. I don't care if it's speeding cars. I don't care if we're on the autobahn. We're in an emergency. Pull that car over. And turn it around. Because, first of all, I want you to look at yourself. Right. Because how how can you say that an incredibly invasive procedure and experience that literally changes your body forever. Right. Forever. Right. Giving birth. Not even giving birth. Carrying a child for nine months changes your body forever right like how can you say that forcing people to go through that is like no biggie right like oh that sucks especially as like ostensibly a mother herself yeah someone who's gone through it right i mean she obviously she like probably had like a not you know statistically a better experience than the average american as like white as a white wealthy woman yeah for sure yes and it's like we're literally in a maternal health crisis literally like black women are truly dying from giving birth three times more than like 
every than white women. Right. Which is nuts. You're literally you're literally like giving a huge portion of the population a death sentence. Literally. And it's also like you're giving poor black people that death sentence. Yeah. Like the people with people with the least amount of resources, like indigenous people, that death mm-hmm. sentence. Like it it's just it's that part wild. And then also it's just like I don't want to carry right. a fucking fetus in my body for that long. I don't want to. Right. I don't want my body to change forever just because I was born with certain organs. Like no thanks. Right. No thank you. And also I feel like I've heard a lot of discourse from like the cuz you're not you're not it's not just putting a baby it's not just like putting a baby in the arms of a family that wants it. It's putting a child into the welfare system. Literally. Like and it's like it's like bad here like i don't know if you know bridget and amy coney barrett but it's like it's like really not good is it i didn't know it's really bad yeah there's been all kinds of books written about it right i mean also maybe this is selfish but like something i think about like i don't want something that somebody that has my dna out here walking walking around. around Just yeah. walking around. Like, With all your, like, intergenerational trauma. Yeah, like, I, I worked for that. that. Yeah. I, that's my trauma. If I'm going to bring that intergenerational trauma into the world, I want to be able to shepherd it. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to know that, like, I'm not contributing to how bad shit already is. Like, yeah. I want to know that, like, I'm doing my due diligence as a human being having, like, brought another human being onto this earth that, like, I'm teaching that human being what I've learned in my process and the yeah. things and the chains I've broken and the things I've unlearned, you know, and right. the people who came before me who had to do that work, you know? So that, like, that in itself, I'm just, like, not into it. Like, I don't like the idea. And, and of course, like, it's important to be an egg donor if that's something that you are okay with. But, like, I personally am not down for it, and I want that option. Yeah. And there was another point I wanted to make. Oh, something about Amy Coney Barrett that always for me, is just a really true testament of character for her, is that, and again, I could be making, sometimes I think I, like, save little nuggets in my mind, and I, like, twist and turn them, and they become something else, but, like, and I could be completely restating, like, wrong information right now. So that's psychosis. Yeah, yeah. So she, she was a law professor at Mm -hmm. Notre Dame, and a certain unknown organization had a case with Notre Dame because Notre Dame was like, we're not going to abide by the ACA requirement that you that we have to provide birth control pills to our student body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, because the Trump administration was in control at the time, they were like, okay, that's fine. And then a certain unknown or unnamed organization was like, no ma'am, and I don't know the minutiae of what exactly happened, but a lawsuit ensued saying that, like, you ha- you are receiving federally federal funds to run your institution, uh, Notre Dame Law School, or Notre Dame undergrad, and so you have to provide birth control to your student body, regardless of, like, your religious affiliations as a college or university. And uh, there was, like, a, I guess, like, petition that went around by the like oh yeah professors of the law school 
um, and other members of this of the school essentially like siding with Notre Dame and not providing the birth control. And guess who like started the goddamn petition? Who started it? Miss Amy Coney Barrett. Wild. Miss Amy Coney Barrett, who had one L's as her students, mm-hmm. knew as herself someone who went through law school and then watched daily as her students had to go through the grueling process of becoming part of the legal profession. She went out of her goddamn way to say, you people, even though you're in the most stressful situation of your lives, you don't deserve to have control over whether or not you get pregnant. Yeah. And, I'm and if like, you do get pregnant, just go ahead and go through, you know, <laughs> nine to ten months of just stating another human being, trying to survive birthing a human being, and then just living with, like, that trauma. And then just leave it on front of a fire station. It's yeah, fine. it's gonna feel really good. It's not a big deal. You're gonna feel like you're doing the right thing. Okay, no, it's fine. Shall we move on to the next segment? No, but let's let's wrap let's wrap this segment up. Um, so where are we now? What's what's happening? What's next? Right now. Mm-hmm. So court, the Supreme Court does this thing, which like honestly, Supreme Court like tradition is so cringy to me but they do this thing where they save the most juicy controversial case for the last case that they like release their opinion on um or their decision on and they start releasing decisions near like the summer so like may through july until the term ends and so they will likely wait till like the last day that they release decisions and they release them on like monday tuesdays and thursdays right sure i don't really know i think it's like mondays and thursdays or tuesdays and thursdays i know monday's one of the dates but they're gonna probably release it whenever the term ends in july and i personally think that it's a bad sign that they did not release the decision on sb8 before hearing Jay Hill, because they heard oral arguments for SB8 on November 1st, and then they heard oral arguments December 1st for Jay Hill. And Jay Hill's been on the, the docket for a long time. SB8 just popped up um, in the last like few months. So I think that it's a bad sign that they are not releasing the decision on SB8 because they're gonna release them together and then just like overturn Roe. Uh, yeah. They're going to, like, overturn... By overturn row, they're going to overturn, like, the pre-viability standard, which says, like, it's uncon... Pre-viability abortion bans in states are unconstitutional. So, like, when that happens, there's, like... How many states in the country have trigger laws? Um, I forget what the last kind of thing was, but I... I there was some good mocker thing that was saying like that 26 states are already have things like in the books or have trigger laws or are sort of like politically poised to just ban abortion after Roe ends. So a trigger law is that like the state has already passed a law that says that the minute Roe falls like in federal law in that state it's banned. Yeah. So we're looking at half the country either be, being poised to overturn Roe immediately. So then all the other states where it's like be whether or not the legislature decides to like create protections for abortion 
or already has them in place, like New Jersey, shout out, has, like, it's within the New Jersey Constitution, I believe, like, the right to abortion. It's in Alaska. Um, and then I think that's, like, I think there's one other state. I'm not sure. But that's when it's going to It's in come. the Florida Constitution. Well, it's been interpreted in the Florida Constitution. Hell yeah. See? Isn't that cool? We're not the armpits of America. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. But, um, the, like, just for an example, though... Since abortion access has been inaccessible in Texas, all the surrounding states that already have their own issues Mm -hmm. with abortion access, they've seen, like, a 300% increase in Texans coming to their states to get abortions. Right. Which is crazy, right? Like, that's, that's nuts. So, like, you can imagine if half of the United States no longer... There's no longer abortion access in half of the states in the United States. And, like, let's face it, the southern states are a lot bigger geographically mm-hmm. than the states where it's more likely for there to be access. You're going to see the people who try to, like, normally get access in states like New Jersey. Like, New Jersey residents are going to be just totally overrun with people from all over the country trying to get access. And it's just going to be absolute chaos. It's going to be a shit show can be a big shit show and like just even schedule wise like people are gonna have to be pushing abortion care later and later into pregnancy which makes it more expensive and sometimes even dangerous for some people um and you know there's there's a lot that is gonna happen and it's really fucking bad yeah and it's not good it's really bad and it's not good and you should be very scared bye well, that's well, all we all got right, for folks. you. So what should the people do? What should the good people of America, all of whom are listening to this podcast, what should they do? Well, there's a little something, something called self-managed abortion, which we're going to get to on another episode because yeah. I can talk about that for centuries. Um, yeah. Big fan of self-managed abortion. Do Look your, it up. Do your it's Googles. No do your Googles. We'll get into it. At another time, but we support self-managed abortion. It's normal. It's a personal choice. It's safe in a lot of circumstances, and it can be safer if we actually invested in it, and it's okay. Yeah. And if that is an option, there is the If One How Repro Health hotline where you can go to if you need, like, legal support because some states have laws that, like, ban adverse pregnancy outcomes that can, like, be categorized as a self-managed abortion again we're going to talk about this at a later date but yes that is an option but in the meantime fund your local abortion fund fund abortion funds in the states where there's not access because people don't know this but like what abortion funds are doing right now in texas is like they're people think like oh well okay well if there's not abortions happening in texas then like the abortion funds don't have to fund anything no those people are funding those funds are funding for people to go travel out of state to stay overnight in some states to have like child care to be able to take off work all of that expensive ass stuff that is accrues because you have to travel so far to get an abortion like that's what those funds are funding so fund those abortion funds and do your research on self-managed abortion because that's what it's going to come down to thank you bridget you're welcome. <laughs> All right. On that note, where's my little thing? God. Pop culture now? Mm-hmm. I don't even... <laughs> okay. I feel like I didn't prepare enough for this, but... 
All right, folks, we're moving on to our next segment, which we will cover a reproductive justice lens of a recent event or pop culture moment. Um, I don't know what is going on in the world, just sort of generally. Um, so Bridget, tell, tell the people, what's going on? How are the celebs? What's the, what's the tea? Okay, so there's a lot of things that we could talk about this week. We could talk about the Kardashians mm-hmm. and how Chloe went after Jordan um, for oh. making out with her man. And isn't her man, there was something about a paternity test yes. or something? So Anna doesn't actually, um, I'm not sure where Anna is um, most of the like reality-wise. Right. Like, Anna's kind of just, like, floating around, doing weird things, um, but I, I give Anna the, the tea on mm-hmm. pop culture. Right. But essentially, and then Anna has really productive thoughts, which is yeah. helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yes, Khloe Kardashian had a man, mm-hmm. Tristan Thompson. Yeah, like, he's, like, a, a sportsman. Yes, he does the NFL. sports. He does no nope. uh, NBA. NBA classic sport. Classic sport. Um, he does the NBA. Not sure what team. Couldn't tell you. The Astro. The um, you Buccaneers. Are you making the Buccaneers was an NFL? All right, whatever. <laughs> You're making things up. Um, so she had a baby with this man, and when she was like literally about to pop found out like there was this video going viral online of um tristan thompson making out with a girl at a bar and wasn't it her bestie no this is a different time so it was like this huge drama and everyone felt so sorry for chloe um but then it became revealed that because she was about to give birth and then her man's out here cheating then it became revealed that she also basically started an affair with Tristan Thompson or whatever. It's, it allegedly started an affair with Tristan Thompson when his, for, his first baby mama mm. was about to give birth. Oh. So it was kind of the, like what comes around goes around. Yeah. Her. Like... Everyone was like, oh my god, poor Chloe, like, that's horrible. That is horrible. Having, you know, someone cheat on you is terrifying, terrible, terrifying, world-shattering. Yeah. Especially when you're about to give birth. Right. Like, literally that about to give birth. horrible. But, like, she did that to Tristan Thompson's... Not saying she did it, right? right. He did it, They right? both right. did it. Yeah. She wasn't the one in the relationship. No, exactly. But yeah. also, you know... Takes two to tango, mm-hmm. honey. You know? It, it, it's not... You know, I wouldn't be with somebody who you're not a whore okay we're not <laughs> <laughs> we are not living in this podcast but just kidding just morally i just would feel weird i wouldn't be okay with it i, I would have a hard time sleeping at night it's all documented on keeping up with the kardashians mm. she's like in the hospital kim's like making faces behind tristan's back fast forward like a year or whatever um one night, Jordan, who is BFFs with with Kylie Jenner, the youngest sister of the Kardashians, 
Um, she has been with this girl, Jordan, forever. Like, they have been best friends for their whole lives, their whole childhood. They do everything together. Like, Jordan lived with her when this happened. Jordan's out one night with Tristan, and somebody leaks to the press that, like, they were being a little flirty. They, like, apparently he was, like, standing behind her at, like, a show or sports game that they were at with other people and, like, holding her waist. Mm. And then uh, later on, they were all having drinks back at somebody's house, and she was, like, sitting on his lap at the party, and, like, their feet were intertwined. And then apparently when, like, she went to leave the party, they, like, kissed. Um, So this got revealed, and, like, everyone went after Jordan was like, what the fuck? Like, you threw away your whole life. How could you do that? Like, you... Because, like... Kylie would go all out for her birthday. She lived with Kylie in her mansion-ass house. Like, whatever. She had all this stuff going on and, like, all these perks of being in the Kardashian circle. But, like, it was gross the way Chloe like, went after her on social media and was like, you ruined my family! Like, put literally put a tweet out that said that. And it was, like, really gross. So, fast forward a little more. Also, I'm sorry. How old was Jordan at this time? We like can a get little the, teeny bopper? Like 21, 22? And like Tristan is a man? A full adult man. Yeah. 30-something. Yeah. Gross. I just don't... I feel like the blame is not on this little teeny bopper. No, and it's all recorded on the Red Table Talk with Jada. Mm. They... Uh, basically, we all ended up on Jordan's side. Right. The collective... Oh, I'm glad I had the good impulse. To yes. Just be like, I don't, I don't think it's her fault. Also, it's like... Gross how, like, the Kardashians are constantly, like, commodifying black identity and then, like, almost, like, using black men and black children as, like, mm. accessories. Like, it's just, like, yucky. Um, so yeah. that's a whole other aspect. But fast forward to the tea that I want to share with you and get your reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, it was revealed. So Chloe's back with Tristan after, like, breaking up a couple of times. They're back mm. together. And um, it turns out that his personal trainer Mm -hmm. is nine months pregnant with who she claims is his child. Wait, how long have they been back together for? Like three years. Oh, so if this claim is true. Yeah. I was like a 1L when the Jordan thing happened. And I am now in post-grad. Okay. And she just gave birth. So have they done the test yet? No, but he sent a message that was essentially, like, that this woman, like, screenshotted and put on her Instagram stories Mm -hmm. that was essentially him, like, threatening her, saying, like, I'll give you, like, whatever, $10,000 or some amount of money to, like, make this go away. Um, He's still claiming that the child is not his, but, like, mm, it's a little weird to be, like... so, So what is your reaction? I just think that I don't care... That he cheated on Chloe again because I wish nothing but like sorrow to that family. And so, besides the kids, I think the kids are really cute and they are blameless, of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, but as far as the grown adults in the family, I I don't care. This is happening to Chloe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, the, the cheating of it all, that she, like, blew up Jordan's life, but, like... That was really bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. This reaction 
It's not giving all that it needs. Okay, I'm sorry. What What do you want me to say here? I guess you just don't care enough. All right, should we just move on to Astro World? Yeah, I care about that a lot. Okay. Um, Astro World. Yeah. As you know, very passionate mm-hmm. about it, both of us. That conversation is actually what started us in this journey to make a podcast. Yes, it is. We were... I was, like, in Florida, coming back from a wedding, in the airline, like, waiting in, like, baggage, and we were sending each other voice memos about how mm. freaked out we were about Astroworld. Yeah. And then Anna was like, let's do a podcast. And yeah. I was like, okay. Um, so, yeah, Astroworld, um, I'll let you explain it. Astroworld, apparently, so Travis Scott is a celebrity, and he makes music. And so, he's also boyfriends with Kylie Jenner. And they have a bebe. Yes. And so, he was doing a little concert in Texas. And it got really out of hand. And um, people lost their lives. Um, A lot of people were injured. And there's a lot of blame to go around. There was a lot of talk about Astroworld online um a lot of tiktoks and personal accounts of this really nightmarish situation people saying that there just like wasn't really any security people were just kind of like walking through the gate um and also that travis scott has a, a history of having a lot of um just chaotic concerts and so that because of that history he should have known to up the security, to, to make sure that folks were safe. Um, and even during the performances, um, there's clear video showing him just totally ignoring when the crowd was trying to, to warn him that something was amiss. So World, truly, like, if you haven't read the personal accounts of what happened, it was, it's like a traumatizing mm-hmm. experience to read the accounts like it stuck with me it still to this day sticks with me but like for days after it was like all I could think about it was just like all I wanted to talk about I was just like disturbed like the idea of like dying because you're being mushed against other human beings and your fucking lungs are like collapsing and just that there's nothing you can do you're stuck and you're like yelling for help and a, people can't hear you, and B, the people that can hear you either don't care or are just being, like, kind of swept up by just, like, the environment. Yeah. Like, the concert. There's, like, videos of, like, people... I think, like, one of the most disturbing pieces is, like, all the footage. Mm-hmm. Is, like, people, like, chanting, like, stop the show. Yeah. Stop the show. And, like, he's he clearly looks like he can hear what they're saying. Right. He's, like... He's egging people on. Yeah. Yeah. And he has, like, a history of this. Like, in 2017, he, like, was um, telling people to, like... They were at this, like, theater venue called... This concert venue called Terminal 5 in New York City, which is truly the worst concert venue in the world. Wherever you are, you can't see shit. It's horrible. I used to, like, go there a lot. But um, there's, like, three tiers of balconies. And somebody was on... Or, like, two tiers. Whatever. Someone was on the second tier. 
and um, they were like, there's like, like very thin wire, like keeping people barricaded from like just going over like the ledge of the balcony, mm-hmm. and like people like sit on the floors, so they can have a better view of the right. stage. And someone was like hanging off the like side of the thing, oh. and he's like on stage and starts like egging on the person to jump into the crowd. Oh. And so the person, like, the he gets the whole crowd to start chanting it. So obviously the person freaking does it. Right. Like, what, are you going to look like a loser <laughs> in front of everyone and not jump into the crowd? So the person does it and don't know what happened to that person, but they, I guess, were fine. Um, but then later in the night uh, or shortly after, a guy who was on the third tier was pushed off of the balcony by like another attendee or other attendees and fell like three stories and is now paralyzed oh my god and so that guy sued and then travis scott countersued and that's been like ongoing litigation um and then in 2019 or yeah 2019 i don't know whatever Palooza in chicago they had uh, like 10 minutes into Travis Scott's performance, they like stopped the performance and then arrested him because he basically told the whole crowd to just like surge the stage yeah. and like to knock over the barricades. And like all these security guards were between like the barricades and the stage, like doing their job. And they like, he literally put their lives in danger. Yeah. And so he got like charged with like, public endangerment and all this shit and like his his show got shut down that night and then like there's a history of people getting hurt at astroworld in years before because it's been like an ongoing festival but yeah this this was his festival that he brought all these people out here again like just like scott <laughs> just like uh, the other scott yeah <laughs> scott stewart like he brought everyone out here for yeah. this for his festival and then all these people died because he was, he was like, tweeting stuff like, we're even going to, like, let the wild ones in. Like, talking mm-hmm. about, like, the wild fans. And, like, it, he just basically, like, creates this culture of, like, let's create absolute chaos and just, mm-hmm. like, not respect safety rules around, like, public venues and stuff. And it led to this outcome where 10 people are dead. Anyway, the news is that he responded... To Travis Scott, so he of course got sued by everybody and his brother, right. as you should. Um, Travis Scott denies liability for Astro World, asks for dismissal from lawsuits. Houston rapper has denied legal liability in the events that led to 10 deaths and hundreds of injuries at Astro World Festival in November and is seeking to be dismissed from several of the cases set against him. Your response. I just don't understand how you could possibly hold an argument where you are saying, like, I had absolutely nothing to do with the deaths that happened at the event that I threw. Like, I just, like, I, like, the math is not mathing Mm -hmm. for me. Like, it's kind of like saying, like, if I invite a bunch of people to my house and I have, and I tell them to, like, do stuff that's dangerous like I don't know like jump off my balcony yeah I feel like I should be 
responsible wow. for injuries. According to common law torts, you right. would be. Right. And so I'm not understanding, like, what the argument even could be for them to throw out the cases, like, in general. Yeah. It's, like, it would be one thing. And if- didn't he, like, post, like, him and um, Kylie post, like, just being like, you know, we're really sorry that this happened. Like, didn't they kind of already admit some fault? I think their posts were, like, artfully worded. Yeah. As to not take... Responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, has there been any kind of reaction from, like, his little fans? Oh, my God. People are going crazy. Yeah. You, like, if you watch, like, World TikTok, like, people are like, I've been a fan since I'm, like, 10 years old. Like, Gen Z, right? Like, and I've gone to, like, every one of his shows. He spent so much money on this artist. And, like, I'll never, ever support him again. Like, what I went through was, like, actually evil and terrifying. And, like, I'll... It's changed the course of my life. (laughs) Yikes. And, yeah, I just feel like the least you could do in this situation is just sort of take accountability and not have to, like, drag these families through, like costly litigation to get what I hope is like obvious that like you are at fault and you need to pay these people money yeah apparently he's doing some like one year deal of talk space for anyone that like watched someone die (laughs) (laughs) which is I hate it here I hate it here it's actually a great segue for our first sponsor just kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine we had Talkspace as a sponsor? <laughs> for our little podcast. Um, I hate it here. That's like so late capitalism of him. I know. It's so gross. Because also it was like, it was on Apple TV, right? It was being live streamed. Yes. So does he mean like anyone at home who saw <laughs> what was happening? What about us? Can I get some therapy? <laughs> I watched some TikTok. I've, I'm traumatized yeah. by the personal accounts. Yeah. I am, like... No, it's, like, it's like truly harrowing. Like, I had to kind of step away after I first started digging into the story, like, with you those couple weeks ago. Because it is too much. It's, like... It's also, like, the average age in that concert of people... Of concert go- goers can't be more than, like, 17. Like, it's, like, truly children. Yeah. And, like... I don't know. It's it's super insane and super, like... I mean, as someone who, like, doesn't understand the allure of, like, festivals, like, I would never, like, put myself in a situation where I was around that many people. Yeah. Like, I still <laughs> empathize with, like, I don't know. Like, there's there's nothing that you as a, as a crowd person can do to stop to stop what happened from happening. Like, there's nothing that you have, like, within your power to keep yourself safe in that situation. I mean, I went to Bonnaroo, like, years ago, like, when I was a freshman in college. And, like, we, like, the way you had no cell phone service back then, Mm -hmm. because you were just, like, surrounded by other human beings. And, like, the only way that we that people could find each other was, like, if somebody was carrying, like, a flag. Like, groups of friends would have, like, a big giant stick with, like, some bandana attached to it that was, like, their group flag. Yeah. And that's how, like, you found your people in a crowd. And, like, that was, like, 
for some reason in my mind, I was like, oh, festivals are great. And then the next year I went to Firefly Festival. And when I tell you we were like peeing in <laughs> fields. I don't know. And there was like all this toilet paper in this field because it was so far to get to the porter potties. Yeah. And I like had to like look at myself and be like, what are you doing? Right. This sucks. It sucks. I don't know who came up with this model of music going. It's people wanting to like relive like Woodstock. Yeah. Wasn't Woodstock fun though? Yeah, and I think it was like a once in a lifetime thing where it was like just this moment in time of all of these like artists that like were there. Yeah. And people that were there and it just like happened. Yeah. To be this like thing that like I'm I'm not sure. And it's like even if you went to that like probably not cut out for everybody right yeah but he's and then there's the aspect it's like kylie jenner is so rich Mm -hmm. she's a b billionaire billionaire. and so is like little um travis yeah scott as well so i just i don't understand the hesitation just pay out these families like it's like not that difficult it's like literally the least you could do yeah what you should do is like um pay all these families like Literally, like, take whatever you have in your little, like, account, divide that by the vic- the victims, and just, like, fade into obscurity. That's what you should do. You know? Yeah. The, like, narcissism it takes to be a celebrity. I can't. I'm trying. I know. <laughs> Alright, should we move on? Yes. <clears throat> This next segment is what we like to call the white flop of the week. Let's explain what a white flop is. Bridget, what's a, what's a white flop? I mean, why do I have to explain it? you're a white flop. <laughs> the white flop of the week is just like an acknowledgement of like whatever person was the white flop that week and like perpetuated Perpetuated, perpetuated, perpetuated behaviors that were perpetuated, perpetrated, perpetrated behaviors that were floppish in nature. Mm -hmm. They were just like sloppy, floppy, rooted in racism, rooted in like scarcity mindset, Mm -hmm. self-centered isms you know right um and you don't have to be white to be a white flop but it but but, it helps yes and it's also to say that if you aren't a white person who is being a white flop i would say you're probably doing so because of systems that white flops have set up exactly so we'll just say that yeah so the white flop of this week and i was kind of hesitant to even bring up this story because i hate when the girls are fighting the girls are fighting. And I, by the girls, I mean the Reaper movement. Um, and so I think you've seen this article about a certain organization that has come into fire. But tell me, tell me more about it. Yeah. And as the white, the white here that yeah. is a flop. Right. Um, I, I want to respond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just maybe just give some insight. <laughs> I will answer on behalf of all of the whites. <laughs> yeah. So this was all from an article by um, Tina Vasquez. 
um, who writes for Prism, and this was kind of an expose on Guttmacher, which, if you don't know what Guttmacher is, they're actually a really incredibly important resource for statistics, research, policy analysis, of, like, repro and abortion in, in like, specific, um, and I just like to sort of couch what I'm about to say to, to say that, you know, everyone who has, like, sort of condemned the leadership at this org also says that, like, this has nothing to do with their work product, like, the work product sort of stands for itself, and they're still sort of a leader in this space, and, um, yeah, nothing that I'm about to say should discount the really incredible work that they're doing. Yeah, like, just to interject really quick, 99.9% of the time, if you're, like, writing something and you know something, like, you you know just a, a fundamental truth about a reproductive rights issue, you can, like, write the thing, and then if you aren't sure, like, where exactly the source is, you just type in, like, Guttmacher, percentage of black women impacted by medication abortion restrictions it'll like like pop up with the statistic right there like they are like a great infographic yeah like the easiest thing yeah so um yeah so this story starts like many other stories start in the repro rights movement which is the black lives matter protests oh god i know and so um (laughs) The grand awakening of the the white flops. Of the white flops. So apparently there was a meeting in which um, Guttmacher tried to, you know, and just for context, Guttmacher, like any, like honestly any other nonprofit is like, just like a lot of white people. And I think they've been trying to be a little bit more diverse recently as like anyone else, like everyone else in the movement has tried to be. But as far as, like, management and who's, like, in the sort of top positions of an organization, it's, like, truly mostly, like, old white ladies mm-hmm. that have been there, mm-hmm. you know, since forever. Um, and so they wanted to chat with the girls, and so they set up a little Zoom, and they're like, let's talk about Black Lives Matter, let's talk about racism, and let's talk about our work. And some of the folks in the call were kind of saying, like, you know, um, I think kind of use this opportunity to bring up the fact that Goodmarker as an institution was not doing its part internally to promote racial equity among its staff. Mm-hmm. And apparently the, the girls that were putting on the show said, why are we talking about that? I want to talk about, and here's, um, here's a quote. I'm here to talk about George Floyd and the other African-American men who have been beaten up by society. Hmm. That's allegedly what Miss um, Heather said. Miss Heather, let's give last names. Miss Heather Boonstra. <laughs> Boonstra. Boonstra? Boonstra. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's kind of where the article picks up. Hmm. And, and that's sort of where the story unravels. Okay. And around this time, there was also a mass exodus of people of color working at Guttmacher in their policy. Tell us about division. that. Why would that happen? I think they were being a little bit racist. Hmm. They were being a little bit racist. <laughs> a little bit racist. <laughs> a little bit racist. 
I think there will be a little more. <laughs> yeah, there's another quote by um, another person here who used to work at Goodmacher says that I didn't feel comfortable as a new person, as a brown person, trying to smooth over the mess that they created. Um, another quote, you know, that Guttmacher, um, Guttmacher's, like, structure was based in white-dominant culture. Um, there's a lot of, sort of, criticism of, um, just the white, uh, feminism that's imbued in, like, all the organizations that we work with, um, as far as, like, reproductive rights goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of testimony from either former or current employees who kind of talked about being discriminated against um, or at least like feeling like there were microaggressions levied at them that weren't levied against like white counterparts Um, whether it was for taking time off for um, because they were pregnant or whether it was sort of input on certain things they were feeling dismissed and treated unfairly so weird it's really weird considering what they do right but go on yeah i mean that's basically what it is that's that's what it is and now i'm pretty sure there's one girly who works and does truly all the state tracking and like god bless her um because it is the work of a team oh yeah that she is doing (laughs) i think maybe one or two girlies um and it's sort of indicative to, like, the larger reproductive rights movement. There has been a lot of criticism in the way that these organi- organizations are run, um, especially the big girls. Um, the big sisters, if you will. The big sisters. Explain what a big sister is. A big sister is someone like a Planned Parenthood, a NARAL, all the big gals. And, again, I really hesitate to... Um, name names or or levy a lot of criticism because I worry that um, I don't want to add to the girls are fighting sort of rhetoric Mm -hmm. and to like be divisive Mm -hmm. like amongst ourselves and like there was that like really horrible New York Times piece this Sunday about how repro rights um, is like falling in on itself which is like true (laughs) but like I don't know it's also like it gives a lot of fodder for the antis to be like, see, you guys are all fighting and you can't even get this straight. And like, you're all racist. And like, that's what it is. And it's like, it's like really not my fault that like white ladies have had all the money and time in the world to like fuck it up this bad. And like, there are people like within the systems that are doing their darnest. And like, I don't want to be overwhelmed because of, of all this history. Yeah. Which is fair. Yeah. It's very fair. And, like, how do you reconcile the floppish behavior that has come before and, like, still exists and also exists in, like, the positions of power, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is, like, we're just starting to get to a place where we're questioning the way a lot of these big groups have been run that have all of these resources and do take up a lot of space. And so um, it's hard to think about. I'd also imagine um, as a non-white person, it would be hard to like exist in these spaces and reconcile all that history, but also be there for the right reasons and Mm -hmm. to be wanting to create change. It's like 
always having to kind of like swallow shit so that you can do the work you believe in. Right. And it's also not to discredit like the incredible though limited work that a lot of these organizations have done. Like they have like fought for at the very least like abortion access in America and like people all all people benefit from that. Is it necessarily the thing that like reproductive justice advocates would center? No. And like they've said this like over and over again, like the centering of this like legal right is like just like not the wave. No. <laughs> and like is not um the priority. But it's still necessary. So it's like it's yeah, it's like really difficult to both be like aware and like grappling with like the history and sort of the entrenched like fucked upness of like working within a legal system and like these cases that were just like thought up by like mostly like rich white ladies mm-hmm. um while also like I don't know I also know that my work is like really important and like helps like people that I care about so yeah like I think it's that saying like two things can exist at the same time mm-hmm. like we can recognize that like Sarah Weddington, for instance, which is, like, the youngest person who ever argued in front of the Supreme Court and won, I think. She was, like, 27. She argued Roe, and, like, while we're grateful for Roe, the way that Roe, like, the the legs that Roe stands on have a lot of issues, and also the case, I'm sure, like, there was influence, the fact that it was a white lady with resources that was leading the arguments right Right. like that lens matters like the the person who's developing the arguments who's looking at the issues who's compare who's looking at the law like it matters I mean like something I really love about litigation is that it really is the great equalizer Mm -hmm. because like when it comes to like doing things through like policy often it's like who you know whose ear you have that's in a position of power like what relationships you've established on the hill that can like really influence what you can do Mm -hmm. to create change and that part I don't necessarily like because it's very um it's very like gatekeepy vibes um even though it's an important role it's an important job and a hard job that people have to do they constantly have to be on call they constantly have to be like strategizing and thinking and schmoozing it's like that's hard But, like, I really like how equalizing litigation is because it's, like, we're all presented with the same access to the law, the same facts, the same precedent, the same information. And it's, like, how you present it or how creative you are or Mm -hmm. how, like, how, how you, like, look at things really impacts, like, how arguments are crafted. Yeah. And so it is important that the people who have been crafting these arguments, who have been in these leadership positions, as far as reproductive rights goes, Mm -hmm. have been white ladies. Yeah. And, like, it's it's almost like this whole, um, this whole thing with Guttmacher is, like, just very revealing of, like, an overall issue. That it's, like, these tensions exist and these inequities exist and these, like white lenses exist in these spaces um and they have for a really long time but the only way that we're gonna like break it all down is if we start to acknowledge them and then like the white flops 
myself included, need to be willing to listen. Yeah. And to implement change and to not get defensive. Right. And, like, the way Boond... Boonton? Boonsta. 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 Boonstra. Heather Boonstra. Miss Heather. Responded to the, you know, commentary on the call was really telling. She was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're talking about George Floyd here. Why are y'all bringing in, like workplace issues where is this coming from like she's not connecting the intersectionality of it all that it's like it's all related and it's not like it's the same like it's the same violence yeah you're perpetuating here yeah and i just feel like it's like it really behooves the reaper rights i know i love i love the moves That and um, cahoots, like when you're in cahoots with someone, I love when I can say that. Oh, we're there in cahoots. Yeah, I love. I think I, apparently it's like a southern word. I didn't know. Well, we're reclaiming. In cahoots. Anyways, it behooves the reproductive rights um, movement to look internally and try to implement some of the stuff that we're asking other people to do. Like, if you want to talk about racial equity, like. Miss ma'am, why is everyone in, in repro that's a, a VP or whatever uh, white? Good question. Like, let's look in the, let's look in the mirror. Yeah, it's kind of like, don't come knocking on my door when you've got mess in your backyard, ma'am. Uh-huh. Yep. Don't throw stones, stones when you live in a glass house. Miss. <laughs> Miss thing. Boonstraw. Yeah, Miss Heather Boonstraw. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and I'm kind of glad, because I, 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 again, I don't want to go in a diatribe about, like, Gutmacher, like, specific places, because I don't think it's, like, this, like, super awful thing that this institution did, or, like, that these are, like, super bad, horrible actors, like, I mean, maybe, but I don't, I don't have the information to really say that. Um, It's, it's, like, so endemic of, like, just of reproductive rights in general, and, like, the industry and like the people that have historically been taking up a lot of space and I think what we're seeing is that like people are realizing that like our generation like millennials and like gen z and stuff like we're not just gonna like a like we're more diverse just like in general people that are going to law school are you know still pretty white but like are getting more diverse and so like we're we're just we're bringing in that lens and I think, you know, they're kind of shaking in their boots a little bit and being like, oh no, like I can't just like be a person who works here for 50 years and kind of have like old soggy ideas. Yeah. 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 I mean, something that struck me is like around like the 2020 election there was just, like, a lot of conversations in the movement about, like, supporting people who, who like, are running on, like, universal health care mm-hmm. versus not. And I just felt weird about, like, like, people who are working in this movement and know all of the issues that we have because we have a health care system that's based on, it's like a a profit-based healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Because we have a profit-based healthcare system, there's a lot of issues and there's a lot of like 
lack of equity and that all trickles down into like every area of life but like namely reproductive rights and access um and so like I found it just weird like to be somebody in the movement and then to not support those policies it's like how do you reconcile that in your brain like are you like I don't know. For me, it's just, like, the the policies come first in my mind. Because mm-hmm. it's, like, if we're fighting constantly for this, around these issues, all I would want is for it to just be easier. Like, and that would, that would come out in everything that I do. But also, I'm a Sagittarius. And apparently, mm-hmm. Sagges are, all of our, like, decisions are based on, like, our morals and our ethics. And, like, mm-hmm. our personal beliefs. So, like... That makes a lot of sense for me to be like, well, duh, obviously I'm going to support, like, candidates who run on universal health care. Right. But, like, I think that's telling that, like, if it's, like, a, a bunch of white ladies who are, like, supporting candidates who don't support universal health care, like, what are we doing here, folks? Right. And why are you taking up space in this movement if you're not willing to, like, in your own personal capacity, try to make access easier? Yeah. And obviously that's, like, an off tangent, but I think it all kind of yeah. goes back to, it's, like, what what do you have on the line? Right. And, like, I, I, I think it's, like, the least you could do, like, if you're not willing to sort of put your organization on the line because you want to still, like, be in cahoots with mm. a lot of your, like, Democrat friends or whatever, <laughs> like, to the outside or whatever, like, why don't you just at least implement the policies that we're advocating for in your own organization. <laughs> you just did your whistle tone. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just can't, I cannot. If I, okay, it would be so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how embarrassing. It would be so embarrassing if I was like, all right. I'm going to start a, a baking business. And what we're known for is our delicious donuts. And what we're telling everybody is that donuts are really good. And that our donuts are the best. Mm-hmm. You come to my bakery, all I have is cupcakes. No, it would be like your employees uh, are not allowed to try the donuts. Uh, or to have the donuts? They're not given a a budget. To make the donuts. To eat the donuts in their own lives? I, I don't know. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I mean, it's embarrassing to, to like, I don't know, start a lawsuit around, like, a certain issue mm-hmm. that you're not implementing in your own. I mean, it's embarrassing on, like, a surface level, like, right? Like, yeah. But it's also, like... It pokes holes in your argument. Yeah. If you're not adopting that policy in your own organization, what are we doing here, folks? What are we doing? If you're out here writing every goddamn politician about, like, a racist policy that you're not addressing in your own four walls, like, man, what's happening here? Yeah. And we don't expect nonprofits to have the budget, the wherewithal, the expertise to be perfect. This is two hours long. Um, (laughs) but you could at least try, you can at least try and do the basic things. So that's our white flop of the week. Yep. Um, this is going to be a segment that we do maybe weekly, but we encourage you all to, um, 
send us your white flops of the week. If you have, you know, if your boss is being a flop and you want to tell us about how floppy that boss is, write us an email and we will talk about how floppy that boss is. Or if there's like a person in pop culture that was a flop. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, I can't believe that in this acceptance speech, this person like said this that was so floppy that let's talk about it. Like we'll try to track the flops ourselves, Mm -hmm. but we encourage you guys to use the hashtag. (laughs) (laughs) UJ, hashtag UJ flop, white flop. I don't know. Whatever. We're get, we'll work on the hashtag. We'll work on the hashtag. But in the meantime, you can email us. You can email us at... <laughs> gmail. Nope. That's not how emails start. At <laughs> unproductivejusticepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And we'll have that info in the down bar as well. Um, and that's it. I think... Are you, do you have any, like, last thoughts? Any, like, mental health? inspo things oh um uh my therapist said something very profound to me this week um about how the source of all like mental health comes from like inner love Mm -hmm. and like loving yourself yeah and I think this actually kind of goes back to your thing earlier about how like ugly people on the inside inside outside theory do ugly shit it's like if you love yourself you're less likely to be messy yeah um and you're just like more likely to be a good person so she said like you know those songs that people scoff at like all you need is love or like the sayings like love can move mountains like people think like oh whatever but like she was like what they mean is like loving yourself like, if yeah. you, a person that loves themselves and, like, gives themselves grace and is kind to themselves, they can move mountains because, that like, the source of all, like, power and all, like, self-respect and self-care and, like, mental health is self-love. So yeah. that really helped me this week. Yeah, that's great. Do you have anything? Not really. What's something that brought you joy this week? My little angel dog. Aww. He's so cute. Michael. His name's Michael. I love when I get to take him out to the dog park and he does something because then I can yell at Michael and then human Michaels turn around. But I'm actually talking <laughs> to my dog, Michael. I love when dogs have like normal human names. Yeah. So yeah, if you're depressed, just get a dog. Okay. I'll try. All right, folks. This has been the first episode of Unproductive Justice. And maybe the last. Have a great day. See you next week. Bye. Bye.